Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I am so happy you are here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about all things to do with motherhood and parenting and explore the joys and the challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to inspire us all on our parenting adventures and to support parents to raise their children with more awareness, connection and love. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today I am so delighted that I'm going to get a chance to talk to the wonderful Pam Leo. Pam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and be interviewed. I'm so happy to be here. So Pam is the author of the wonderful book Connection Parenting. Um, She's the mother of two and the grandmother now of five and even a great grandmother now as well. Um, And in addition, Pam has done a lot of work running courses, teaching um, a program called Meeting the Needs of Children um, and is the founder of an organization called the Alliance for Transforming the Lives of Children, amongst other things. I'm a member, not the founder. I'm a member, a founding member. (laughs) Um, so thank you so much for coming on, Pam. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. I read your book so many years ago and I've read it so many times since then. And it's really been, it's been like a Bible to me, to be honest, when I was raising my children and the the full title of the book, in case people aren't familiar with it is connection, parenting, parenting through connection instead of coercion through love instead of fear. And it's, um, it's an extraordinary book. And I'm so glad that we're going to get to talk about it with people today. Uh, One of the things that I love most um, is one of my favorite quotes from the book. And there are lots of quotes in the book that I love. But one of my favorite ones is, let's raise children who won't have to recover from their childhood. And I love that quote so much, I put it on my website. But that's just a beautiful place to start. How, how How did you come to write this amazing book? Um. I wrote it because I had been teaching meeting the needs of children for many years. And people kept saying, when are you going to write a book about this? And they were kind of starting to call it family parenting, which would mean nothing to anyone who didn't know the work. Mm-hmm. And so I tried to think of, um, I, like I said, it went by meeting the needs of children for a long time. And then a real turning point for me was when I read Joseph Chilton Pierce's book, Magical Child. Because I had been telling parents for years about the importance of meeting children's emotional needs, but I wasn't telling them why. (laughs) And when I read his book, I went, oh, okay, we have to do that to make connection, to build and keep that connection with them, which is so vital. And then then the title just became obvious when when that piece kind of fell into place. Mm. So, yeah, that was how it kind of came to be. And so what I was hoping to do with the book, and I hope I accomplished with the book is I wanted to make that class accessible and available to any person anywhere in the world. So I used the class as the model for setting up the book so that if someone did it with a group, they could even have the experience of like, you know, being in a class and hearing what the other, how the other parents heard it and how they applied it. So that was kind of what I did. And 
I used all the articles I had written prior to that and just kind of wove it all together to be that experience of being in the meeting the needs of children class to learn about parenting through connection. Wow. And I understand it's now being translated into Spanish. Is there, are there other languages that it's in as well? I It's in Turkish. Wow. I'm not sure why. Yeah. But uh, yes, it just, uh, the uh, release date was yesterday. So oh. it's available online in Spanish, which has been my dream ever since I wrote it. And so this is a big dream come true for me that it's now available in Spanish, except that I can't read it yet, <laughs> but I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm studying Spanish every day. So, Wonderful. yeah, it's so exciting. I would love to see it in every language. Yes. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so the book basically goes through seven different um, chapters, and I wonder if we might just talk through each of those for the podcast, if you're happy to yes, do that. I'm happy to. Um, and the, the starting one is, is really about connection and how, um, you know, building a strong bond with our children really needs to be our primary goal and that we need to work on focusing to maintain that consistent, loving connection with our children. Yeah, there's a beautiful quote where you talk about, um, in the section you're talking about secure bonding and giving um, children a daily dose of vitamin C for connection, which is just beautiful. And you say, children need someone who cherishes them, delights in their existence and loves them unconditionally. Absolutely. I mean, when children have that, it, it's everything for them. And, you know, we can overcome not having that, but I always think, what might they be if they did have it, you know? And so to not have to overcome the lack of that would be so amazing. Mm. And um, it was interesting. The exercises in that first chapter were actually, I created those from a class I was doing with moms in um, recovery from uh, alcohol and drug addiction. And because it kept coming up how, Everything I was talking about is what they wish they could give to their children, but not what came naturally to them. And so we started talking about, you know, what would you want to give your children? And what do you not want to give them? And they would make lists of it. And then I would say, so if you go back and look at your list, put a check mark next to everything you want to give them that you yourself got. And put a check mark next to everything you don't want to pass on to them that you got. And I mean, it's just like the stunned silence in the room when people complete it, because, you know, there's hardly anything on the do want list that they actually got. And so many of the things on the don't want list that they got. And, you know, it's so much easier to do what we experienced. So it's, it's a big shift, but it clearly lays out. It's hard to give what we didn't get. And so that that's where our work lies in both healing from anything negative we got and in finding models of how to do that good stuff. Mm, mm, that's beautiful. And I love the distinction you make between the ways that we can um, ensure that we connect with our children and that we avoid disconnection with our children. And as you talk about how uh, the cooperation that we get from children is directly linked to how much connection they feel <laughs> with us. Absolutely. And it is. 
you and I mean, this is I don't know, I think this is in another chapter. But, you know, I always say you can always tell when there's a disconnect with a child because they'll do one or all three of these things. They won't look at you. They won't talk to you and they don't want you to touch them. If Mm -hmm. any of those three things are happening, there's a disconnect going on. And then we have to go back and clean it up and, you know rewind, repair, and replay, which is the saving grace of connection parenting is being able to do that. Absolutely. That's so important, isn't it? And I think that um, that message that you you give so loudly in the book is, is um, it's so reassuring for parents to know that we all at times behave in ways that aren't ideal and, and be the parent that we don't want to be and be the parent that we receive perhaps or but for whatever reason we behave in ways because we're stressed or we're overwhelmed or whatever but to have this this uh, technique that we can use with our children anytime where we can rewind and repair and, and replay things is just so transformative for us and for our children because it it, it gives us it gives us a, an option to reconnect when when there has been this disconnection and it also shows our children that we're not perfect we can't be perfect but we will keep trying because our relationship is our priority and so we will keep coming back with that intention to reconnect so i love that absolutely it all and it also models for them you know, that they're going to mess up sometimes and maybe lash out or be angry. And they already know how to repair it. You know, Mm. they know to go back and say, I said this, I did this, and I'm sorry, and I want to do over. (laughs) They, you know, are model for that, you know, so they'll grow up knowing how to do that, where we had to learn it as adults. Absolutely. Can you describe a little bit about how you go about um, doing that repair and that that rewind repair and reconnect with with children and how you recommend sure. I mean you that. know yeah say you know you just are kind of at the end of your rope or something and and a child does something and with with that it doesn't go through your brain it just comes out your mouth you know some phrase that you heard as a child growing up or just an overreaction and you know, you'll be able to see the moment on their face that you've done it. And if you can rein it in and calm down and just say, what I just said was, was not kind and it was not respectful. And I am so sorry that I said that. And this is what I wish I would have said. (laughs) And like you said, it shows them, we know we're not perfect and that we're, we're continually striving to, to parent through connection and, and not through fear. So, you know, it's really that simple, not easy, <laughs> not to be simple, not to be confused with easy, because it is hard once you've reached that point of kind of losing it to be like, oh, <laughs> and I think for a lot of parents, they feel like it might be undermining their authority to do that. So another way of saying it is not parenting through authority, you know, but through relationship. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's simple. I mean, the process itself is simple, but not always easy. It's a mm-hmm. challenge. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. The other thing I love that you talk about in that first chapter is this phrase that I've had ringing in my ears and written on several places in my house over the years, which is connect before you correct. Yeah, you know, actually, I mean, when I said that, I love a, a quick phrase that people can hang on to. And now, 17 years later, if I were to reword that, 
I, I might use different words, but definitely, you know, say a child has done something that's just not appropriate. Um, and we need to, you know, let them know that this isn't acceptable. Um, so, you know, to say, I can see you're really upset, or I can see you're very frustrated. Let's think about another way we could do this. And so I don't know that it's so much correcting them as providing guidance. So it was just a quick quip, I think. Mm -hmm. So, but it worked, you know, we remember it. And I think that's the essential thing is that we remember like, oh, connect before you step in there, because otherwise you're going to have no influence. Yeah. And I think for me, it wasn't so much the correction bit. It was just more like this to always try to make connection your first go-to thing with your children mm-hmm. and so even whether if you're not correcting even if you're just trying to encourage them to get out of the door so that everyone can get out for the day for something or whatever it is that you're trying to do instead of of, of anything else to start with that connection because it's from that connected space that you're then absolutely you know, children are, are willing to to be cooperative they're wanting to be their their natural cooperative right. selves so Absolutely. And, you know, I, I often remember the hearing the phrase of you need to do this, you need to do that. And if we really think about it, they don't need to, we need them to, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I need you to get, you know, they'll say, you need to get your shoes on, we have to go or, you know, something in that effect. And it's like, I really need you to get your shoes on so we can get out the door that just shifts the whole context mm-hmm. of what's happening there when we own that. I'm the one who needs to get out the door. And I really need you to help me do that. It's it's just a big shift in how that feels. Yeah. yeah and even if it's as simple as, as getting down to your child's level and making eye contact and just Absolutely. connecting in that way first, it's so powerful, isn't it, to for them to it feel is. heard and cared for and, and that they're important and part of the decision. You know, and that's another one of those things that is so simple, but it's not easy because we probably didn't have models of that. We were used to looking up. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that, that leads quite nicely into the, the second um, focus of the book, which is treating children with respect. And I love how you talk about um, that we should speak to our children as if we were talking to a, an adult that we loved. And you have an example in the book of um you know, how funny it is really when you think about the reality of talking to an adult in the way that lots of parents speak to their children. I mean, you would just never speak to an adult like that, not even one you didn't love very much. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and you you say how lovely, um, you say we can't teach children to behave better by making them feel worse. And you say, if we treat children lovingly, they believe they're lovable. And if we treat them badly, they believe they're bad. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, I think probably next to connection and the respect part of the book is is just really the ground that it all comes out of. There was a book that I absolutely love by Yanis Korzak called When I Am Little Again. And... It's an amazing book. I just I would recommend if you can find it um, that it's it just affected me so deeply. And he kind of does this thing of like life through the eyes of a child as an adult, like like you were to go inhabit a child's body with your adult knowledge and feelings and all of that, how that would feel to you the way children are typically treated. And um, 
Yeah, it just makes you rethink. So like I said, we recorded everything we heard as children. And so when our buttons get pushed, that's what plays unless we interrupt it. And if we can keep that in the forefront of even just that mental picture of, you know, would we say to our partner, if they we don't like what they're doing, I'm going to count to three. (laughs) And if you don't comply, you're in big trouble. You know, we would never do that. And yet it happens for children all the time. And so, you know, sort of in the name of social justice, I mean, it's adultism, the way children are very often treated, both by in families and in school settings. And, you know, and we need to really think about that, that they have, you know, that we don't have to, children don't have to earn respect. They are born worthy of our respect. You know, they came in worthy of our respect and they don't have to grow up to get that. They should have it from moment one. Yeah. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that that when they're talked to, when we talk to our children in those ways with respect and kindness and love, that becomes then their internal dialogue, doesn't it? The way that they talk to themselves then. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, some of the things that I heard growing up, I, I would say that to myself, you know, it does, it becomes, you know, our inner parent so to speak. And, you know, learning to be kinder to ourselves is one step toward learning to be kinder to our children, because then we're not passing on, you know, that authoritarian kind of coercive attitude and those actions and words. So Mm. yeah, it does become our internal dialogue. Yeah. So we want to give them a nice one, (laughs) kind one. Yes. And you talk about um, giving our children permission to let us know when we're speaking to them in ways that they're not enjoying. And that's something that I've done with my children too. And um, I love that there have been so many times when I've been harsh to my children in a way that I really didn't want to be. And they've said, hang on, mum, no, well, stop. I don't like it when you talk to me like that. And it's such a powerful way because not only does that stop you in your tracks, that also shows that they're not willing to put up with that as they grow up in their relationships with other people either. And so it's, it's incredibly powerful thing. It is. And that was why I put it in there. I thought if people are really going to commit to this, that has to be in there. Because, you know, it's like if they're going to accept whatever they're forced to accept, and then when they become adults, they're going to accept it, too. So the best guarantee we can give our children that they will be well treated as adults is to treat them so well as children that they would not put up with anything less. You know, that's the only insurance we can give them Mm. is to treat them that well. Yeah. yeah, that and that's how we change the world through parenting yes. in this way, isn't it? <laughs> yes, Not it just is. their world, but the whole world. <laughs> the whole world, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so beautiful. Um, the third um, focus of the book is about listening to needs and feelings, and this is this is so central to to this way of parenting, isn't it? This this yes. notion that crying is healing, and that the best gift we can give our children is is listening to them when they have feelings to express so that they don't have to store those feelings in their body and, um, you know, develop habits to keep their feelings suppressed. I think that was really, when I learned all about that, was so life-changing for me to 
to understand that, that the crying is the healing. And I mean, on some level, I think we know it because we always feel better after we've had a major cry as adults, you know? So of course, as children, you know, it's, and what happens is when they're forced to stuff that, it blocks the channel for connection. It just blocks it. There can't be because it's there in the way. And if we can just be there for them and let them empty that out, it opens the channel for connection wide open. And, you know, they're, they might be raging at us and, you know, stomping and screaming. And then once it's all emptied out, they're just going to melt right into us because we just kept the space and kept them safe. And, you know, we don't let them hurt us or anything else, but we let them just get that out what's hurting them it's like taking out a sliver you know as it stays in there it's just going to get infected and fester and if it just comes out then it can heal so it really is similar to that do you have phrases that you recommend that parents use whilst they're listening to feelings um you know it's hard to be authentic i think about that because most of us don't have any recordings of someone be holding space for us like that and so it's going to sound strange to us and so i mean i think what i try to do is just maybe just not even say anything you know we feel really compelled that we should say something but if we can just kind of be present and say i hear you this is really hard this is really hurting you or you are really angry, you know, and just kind of reflect, you know, and they might say, no, I'm this. And then, and then they can correct us if, if what we have observed isn't what's going on for them. But mostly I think just, you know, you know, pulling them in or just staying nearby because sometimes they don't want you to touch them at all when that's happening for them, but just, um, Yeah. I can remember when my own daughter, my youngest daughter, sitting on the top step <laughs> and just saying, I'm here. Like she slammed her door. She's inside the door. And I'm just keep reminding, I'm here. I'm listening. And it would eventually, you know, burn itself out. And then the door would open and we, you know, it literally opened the door back up to connection. So mostly I think being there and, and you will, you know, find phrases, but they will feel, I think they feel a little stilted at first because it just isn't what we experienced. And just to say to a child, I know you're really upset and I'm right here and I'm listening and I love you. It's just, it's such a, it's just such a beautiful thing to say. And it's such a beautiful thing to hear. And I think, you know, as adults, when we experience somebody talking to us like that and and holding the space for us like that, we can feel how powerful it is. It is. And, you know, it's funny, though, if if once, you know, when we encounter this information, we've already been parenting the other way for a number of years, you know, children are going to be expecting us to try to fix it. And when we don't do that, it can make the anger get even bigger at first because they want us to say, okay, you can have the cookie, (laughs) you know, and we're not, and you know, we're just saying, I know you really want that cookie right now, but we're not fixing it. And that's really liberating. But, you know, until children move from that old model we may have had. So people will say to me, ah, I wish I'd had this information from the beginning you know, when parents of older children would come to my classes and I'd just say to them, so do I. (laughs) I didn't have this information when I was parenting young children. This has been an accumulation 
my children still have to heal from their childhood. I wrote this book when they were adults, you know? So, you know, hopefully less. And I mean, one of the things that I really do know is that every generation softens what they got for the next generation. So if what we got was harsh, we can only imagine what our parents got because mm. they softened it for us. Mm. And I think that's a really important thing to know. And looking back and to know that, you know, whatever it was, our parents were doing the best they could with the information, resources and support they had at the mm. time. And, you know, they can't go back and do it over. So whatever we got, now it's our job to heal it. Mm. So we just need to do our work. So connection parenting is, again, simple, but not easy, because in order to give that unconditional love and to be respectful like that, we do have to do our own work because most of us have things we need to process and you know, let go of before we can step into that way of being with in relationship with anybody, really, but especially with our children. Yeah. And I think once we experience um, holding the space more and more for our children and we can see the powerful effect it has on them to be heard and to be allowed to express their feelings, to release and to heal in that way, it becomes easier for us to, to be aware that we have to then offer or find ways to offer that to ourselves um, so that we can go through that process too. And I remember the moment where I realized that this was actually the, the parenting had to be for me in order for it to be for the children was, was a big <laughs> moment. But I love that compassionate um, approach where we can really see that we everyone's just doing their best, you know, and that, that's part of the there's no such thing as perfect thing as well, of course, isn't it? But like Absolutely. you say, there's so much that is um, when we're listening to feelings, it's so much about what we're not doing as well as what we are doing. So we're not trying to fix and we're not trying to placate and we're not having to, um, you know, keep the tears at bay. In fact, we're, we're really doing the opposite. And, and I think once you get your head around that and you start doing it, it does become um, so much it's actually a much easier way of parenting, although the actual yes. process oh, of listening yeah. to feelings is hard, but not having to constantly keeping everybody happy all the time is, is, is a real burden off your shoulders when you know that you can actually just sit and listen. You don't have to do anything else at all and they will find their way through it and then come out the other side and it'll all be over. And I mean, one of the hard things too about doing that is that sometimes their feelings will trigger our feelings. Yes. And then it is hard to stay in there and listen. And sometimes I always say to parents, time out is not for children, it's for grownups. And, you know, sometimes we'll reach a point where it's like, I can't listen to this anymore because I'm starting to feel angry. And to say to a child, you know what, I need a little break from listening. So um, I'm going to take a few minutes just to be calm. Do you, you know, and offer them a drink or a book or something like we can come back to this. But for right now, I, I need a little break from listening mm. and to know that that's OK to do that. You know, we don't have to stay there and just like be trying to keep the lid on it when we're ready because they know once our attention is not with them anymore. So it makes more sense to just take that little time out for ourselves. So I would say time out is to be taken, not given. Yeah, I love that. It's so true, isn't it? There are times when we just don't have capacity to listen. And that's I think it's really lovely for parents, particularly parents who are at the beginning stages of this, to know that it's totally fine to, to say, no, I can't do this anymore or no, I can't do this at all right now. And like you say, they they know when we're 
really not not there with them. So, and our children are geniuses to bring it up again and again and again until we are ready to listen. So it's it's never it's never too late and it'll come out when the time is right. But I love that permission to just say, no, now's not the time. I can't do this right now. Yes. We have to. Yeah. Yeah. So nice. You talk about um with in relation to feelings, you talk about um when we aren't able to listen to feelings or we aren't doing that for our children, how um those feelings get stored in the body and lead to our children behaving in ways that we find challenging. Um and that you have a lovely phrase, um, a hurtful child is a hurt-filled child. I think it's really nice to remember that. It is, and you know, it it's I've never seen a child be hurtful who wasn't hurting. Yeah. You know, there was a little girl in my daycare who was just like sunshine. She was just the sweetest child. She came home from kindergarten or came back to daycare from kindergarten. So, you know, all those transition moms drops her to me. I walk her to the bus. The bus takes her to school. She goes to her teacher and then the reverse. She's already had like five major transitions by the time she comes back. Because at that time we had a half day kindergarten. And somebody said something to her and she just stiff arm, which was so out of character for her. And I just said, oh, something must be hurting you to make you hurt your friend. And she just burst into tears. And then eventually out came the story of what had happened at school. And, you know, I mean, but if I had just treated her like a naughty child, there would have been no safety for her to, you know, be able to empty that out and reconnect and it just would be a completely different circumstance and that happens so often for children I re- a phrase I remember from my childhood I actually googled it to see if it was just something in Maine or New England but it isn't is you'll be laughing on the other side of your face mm. and children tend to laugh when they're nervous well we all do actually and often adults will think you know, so say they're given a child, you know, a talking to about something they did and the child laughs because they're scared, they're nervous. And then the adult takes it like they think it's funny. And so it's like, oh, you think that's funny? <laughs> and so, wow, what a, what a tough situation. So just to remember that if children laugh when they feel like they're in trouble, that's a nervous laugh and mm. they need all the more connection. Yeah. yeah. And laughter is such a powerful way to release feelings as well, isn't it? Um, all kinds yes, of different it, feelings. So it's a really wonderful yes. healing mechanism. So yeah, having a very different perspective on, on laughter is so helpful. It is. And we forget that too. It doesn't always have to be crying to release feelings. That's, I think, one of the reasons children love chase me, come, come after me, come get me, you know, hide and see all of those things, you know, because they laugh and laugh and laugh and it just releases that, you know, sort of stuff, you know, because if we could imagine of like, oh, maybe there's a child who sits on the bus that makes them nervous, or maybe they don't feel prepared for their lesson. So there could be all this nervousness that accumulated while they were away from us, you know, and then they come home to their safe space, which is us. And, you know, some little thing I call it the broken cookie, you know, it's or you know, oh, we're going to have apple juice and graham crackers for a snack. And they just burst into tears. I wanted milk and Oreos, you know, and it's not about the cookie. It's just about all the things that built up all day when it wasn't safe to let it out. And so now here it is. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's so often true when they're having tantrums, isn't it? That it's like the final straw is is something that's just pushed pushed them over the edge, and then they yep. explode with these big, raw, powerful feelings that they've been holding in for a while, um, and express their outrage and their frustration and their disempowerment and all those other things that they're that they're feeling in such a healthy way, and then afterwards, it's that's it, it's all gone. They're better. They're balanced. They're connected. They're calm. Completely transformed. It's pretty miraculous. <laughs> it really is. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You talk about this um, way to respond to children when they're um, when they're feeling really sad, and you talk about the four steps that you recommend: um, acknowledging their feelings and validating them, accepting their feelings, and then listening. That's a beautiful it's, it's you know it's a pretty easy process if 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 we're paying attention mm-hmm. and we're not involved in fixing it you know because if we're involved in fixing it we're going to a completely different place and you know if we can just like you say it's really liberating to know we don't have to fix everything in their world but we we just need to help them navigate it and part of that is to let them process those feelings about how things don't go the way they hope they will yeah yeah oh it's all just so like you say it's so simple in a way and it's so difficult as well at the same yes. time yeah <laughs> so difficult to do this simple thing <laughs> yes yeah you talk about behavior um seeing our children's behavior as a communication of, of their unmet needs and, and their feelings um, and you describe a, a lovely process to to use when we're trying to decode their behavior. Do you want to talk a bit about that? I'd love you to explain. Um, say more about. Um, you, you talk about a, a five step process to decode their behavior when they're behaving in ways that are showing us that they have unmet needs or, or feelings to express. And you talk about um, the discipline first of all for ourselves to to um, resist reacting to the behavior and instead <laughs> to um, remember that their behavior is is them communicating something with us that their needs that aren't being met right. and then you, you you recommend that we look behind the behavior to look to see what what are their unmet needs um, perhaps they might have you know needs for connection or autonomy or or, or release of emotional pain um, and or they might even be hungry you know? yes it could be something <laughs> It's only really, and um, I was going to say, you've read my book more recently than I have. <laughs> Probably more times oh. than you have as well. <laughs> Probably. Um, but yes, I mean, but just even that one idea that behavior is communication, because children don't always have the language to tell us what they need or what hurts. And so they act it out thus acting out behavior that we call it, you know, that they're acting out. They are, they're trying to communicate that in some way. And so whenever a child is behaving in a way that we find distressing, you know, if we can immediately just think instead of, I have to squelch this, or, you know, I have to teach them the right way to behave. It's like, wow, wonder what's causing this because that's not who they are generally. And we know that. And so something's up. And so to try to just you know, find out what, what's going on. And it's more our attitude than even what we say to them, you know, that the approach is, sounds like you're not 
feeling very well about what's happening or you sound really disappointed or upset and they'll correct us if we are not getting it right. They will, you know, if that door is open, but that door is not open when we say you need to, you know, whatever. Mm. (laughs) So it's really just about having that door be open to seeing behavior as a communication that acting out is just like, you know, if we were trying to do charades, (laughs) you know, it's like, Ah, this is what's going on for me. Mm. And so if they're being hurtful, someone was hurtful to them more than likely. And, mm. you know, that's what they're trying to communicate. It's yeah. the hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I always say like, it's a, it's a red flag. You imagine your child standing in front of you, waving a flag saying, help mom. I'm feeling really, really bad right now. I need yes. some help. I need some listening. I'm feeling awful. And I, I need you. Um, and that just um, encourages us to have a much more compassionate approach immediately with our child rather than trying to go into judgment about their behavior and whether it's good or bad or what it means or, you know, any of that stuff. You know, what you just said, I'm always endlessly fascinated with the ways when other people read the book and they're implementing it, you know, their interpretation and their implementation and, you know, it's like, if I'm behaving awful, I feel awful. <laughs> you know, if we can just remember that, you yeah. know, whatever way I'm behaving, that's how I'm feeling. Yeah. And to see it as that, and that there is something we can do to, you know, help them with that. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, which is different than fixing it. So when it's about feelings, you know, and we're trying to, you know, give them the cookie or whatever it is, then we're fixing it. But if we can see the behavior as a communication of need, we can help them figure out, you know, what is it you need? And then that they can help them communicate that with words. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's slightly different, but it's, a, it's an important distinction mm. between shutting them down with fixing it and helping them explore what it is they might need mm. because we're not just seeing them as a bad child or seeing them as a child with some bad feelings. Yeah. And just that connection process where we're trying to guess, even if we guess wrong, the fact that we're guessing, it's just such a powerful symbol to our children that we care and that we're interested and that we're aware that they're feeling bad, even if we haven't quite got it exactly right. And so that connection is often just what they need to then be able to access the feelings and, and, and release them, and let us know how they're feeling and what's going on. Right. And, and that we love them, even when they're being their most awful self you mm-hmm. know, that when we yeah. stay there and we try to find out you know this isn't like you let let me hear more about what's happening for you yes mm-hmm. and I think it's in your book somewhere as well and in um where it says something like um you know it's when our children deserve it the least that they need it the most uh, yes that's another but, yeah when they appear to deserve it the least is when they need it the most and it, and it is true it is you know a child who's losing it in the grocery store just needs us to you know wrap them in love because how humiliating is that how would we feel if we totally lost it at the grocery store <laughs> you know one day i was at the grocery store and there was a mom and i'd say her child was i don't know between 3 and 4 somewhere like that And he just was not happy to be there. And she was, you could tell she just wanted to get her a few things and try to get gracefully out the door without a scene. And, you know, it was just like, 
I just had so much compassion because I've been there. And, you know, if like when we can just, you know, say to a parent, this is hard, hard stuff, isn't it? You know, so they know we're not judging them and that they're doing the best they can. And, you know, the child is just not wanting to be there right now and his needs can't get met there right now. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it's one of those things that we really, a way we can support other parents, I think, of, you know, just even just giving a knowing look or, you know, just a word. Yeah, it's yes. an important thing I think we need to do. Yes, I remember my daughter when I, f- uh, she was quite young, she was probably two and she had a major meltdown in, in the supermarket. And I, I just, I'd only been parenting this way for a few years. And so at that stage, I was just really passionate about listening to feelings wherever they came up so they came up in the supermarket so I was listening to them there and I got such horrible treatment from a woman who who really attacked me actually it was horrible and ever since then I always make a point if I see somebody with a child having a tantrum of of giving giving kindness and understanding and an empathic look to the mother or saying a few words or yeah it's, um... Yeah, because I mean, when children are in that space, they can't hear us, you know, they really can't. And so we just need to be that safe container for them until, the, you know, the, <laughs> the big amount is off the top so they can get back to where they can make eye contact and can hear again. Yeah, but it is hard if you're in a parent in a situation where you feel like you're being judged when, you know, you're sweating bullets as it is and trying to be there the best parent you can be for your child. So I really encourage parents to be supportive to other parents in public, even if the parent is responding to the child in a really negative way, you know, you still need to be support the parent and not try to defend the child because it's just going to make the parent probably feel worse, mm. you know? And if you can just say, Oh, isn't it hard grocery shopping with children? You know, just something like that can calm it down and diffuse it, you know, rather than judging like what a terrible parent, they just yelled at their child in the grocery store, <laughs> you know, to, like not go there because what they need to is someone to care about their feelings. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And only needs to happen to us once when we become a tried and true defender of parents in grocery stores. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it would be so nice if that was the way people responded to parents when they were with children having big feelings. If if there was a more compassionate, kind, less judgmental attitude. Yeah. Well, we keep putting it out there. Um, you you talk about the need for us to fill our children's love cup, and I think that's another thing that can really help with with um, you know just really meeting those needs for connection, so they're less likely to have unmet needs for connection. Um, in there, you talk about yeah time time in as opposed to time out, which I think is really nice, and um, yeah, giving our children lots of safe space to lots of play um, lots of active play and um, power reversal games and lots of quality one-to-one special time and um, things like that do you want to can you say any more about sure I mean I in a way that's kind of one of my favorite parts of the book because it's about what we can do instead of trying not to do all these other things and it's um 
one of my favorite, favorite books is Larry Cohen's book, Playful Parenting. I learned so much from Larry and I had the blessing of doing workshops and co-presenting with Larry. So I really got to learn from him in person firsthand besides this book, which I adore. Um, And I mean, one of the things that I realized, I don't remember adults playing with me as a child. And so as a mother, I really was not good at playing. But in that meantime, I, you know, met Larry, read his book, did his workshops. I was a great player as a grandparent. (laughs) So the next generation got to benefit from what I learned. And it's uh, the, the term ACEs wasn't around when I wrote my book. But one of the things I've been talking a lot about lately is we can't always prevent adverse childhood experiences. You know, we can't always prevent that from happening. But we can try to mitigate that as much as possible with, with many, many positive childhood experiences to put as many of those into the life of a child as we can. And it, it's just funny, the things that we remember, my grandson, and he's 19, and we were messaging and he had done this, he loves, we both love bees and Rosa Ragosa, and he had taken a blossom and held it up to another blossom that had a bee in it. And it went off that blossom onto the one he was holding. And it just led to this whole discussion about, I said, you know, ask your grandpa. One time we owned five beehives that we bought with the harvest on it. And it was like 500 pounds of honey that we had to process. And our whole house smelled like honey. And so anyway, he said he mentioned it to his mom. And she said that was one of her fondest memories of that whole process of us having all that honey that we had to process, you know? So those positive experiences, I mean, there's just, they're priceless and they really can, they do connect us and they give them that place. It's sort of like this island of refuge that when we can remember some really positive things that we did. So it's the easy part of connection parenting. And, you know, not that it isn't hard to find the time. If you've got five children, that's, you know, five dates a week or, you know, however you figure it out to do it. It's five special times every day. I mean, it's not easy in terms of that, of time and resource, but it's easy in terms of that it's fun and it was funny because when, when my youngest daughter was a teenager, she asked me one week if, when we had our date night, if her friend could come with us. And my first thought was then, then it won't be date night because you'll be with her and I'll be the chauffeur, <laughs> you know? which is exact. And, but I said, yes, because I just wanted to see how that would be for her. And, uh, and it was that way. They were in the back having a grand time and I drove us to where we were going to go. And then the next week I asked if she was wanted to invite her friend again. And she's like, "Mm, no, it's not really the same when I bring a friend so much more valuable that she got that, you know, on her own by getting to experience it, not by me saying, oh, it won't be the same. You know, no, she can't come. And so I was I was proud of myself that I figured that out that, you know, she'll probably get it on her own or she might want to bring her every week. But if she wanted to bring her every week, then I wasn't doing something, mm. you know, it wasn't being connection time, but uh, it, it was. And she was like, oh, I think I like it better when it's just you and I. So that one on one time, whether it's five minutes or five hours is just gold for children. 
It's just gold. And it's gold for us too, isn't it? I mean, for years we yes. did. We had the advantage of two adults, two children, so it was fairly simple logistics in our family. But for years, in fact, we still have. We used to do what was called day together day, where one of one of one of the parents would take one of the children, and the, we would do whatever the kids wanted to do within reason. And and we've we've done that for years, and it's just it was so lovely for us. And it, it still it's so beautiful for us. And I try to have a day a week together with my daughter still, who's now sixteen, and. Um, my son's now 18 so it's he's he's moved away so it's not but when we're together all as a family mm-hmm. we still have this beautiful connection time together and it's just it's precious isn't it and like you were describing those precious memories which um well that was lovely to hear because my husband's a beekeeper and he makes honey so oh. we always smell of honey <laughs> but um yeah it's and I love the smell of honey so <laughs> me too much. me too but oh, yeah that's really funny those moments are so precious, yeah. aren't they? And um, they are. Um, and I mean, they're precious in the moment, but they're also building that foundation. You know, I always say to parents, you know, parenting through coercion only works until they are as big as we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you better hope you have, you need something much stronger in place because timeout isn't going to work anymore. And so all those positive experiences that we had together that were fun and we were laughing and, you know, um, you develop sort of a family language and, you know, just little things that you simply say it and it brings conjures up this whole big memory. And that is what is going to see us through those teenage years that we have built that, you know, step by step, hour by hour, event by event, we have built that. Mm. And it's such an important foundation for going forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I often say to clients, you know, what do you want your relationship to be like with your children in in five years time, in 10 years time, in 20 years time, especially parents of young children who are new to this way of parenting and, um, you know, People always say they want to be close, they want to have a good relationship, they want their children to come to them when they have difficulties or problems. They always talk about, you know, their children and being happy and, and you know, not all of those things. And, and there's there's a way to get there, you know, and that is right. that is by doing these things. And and like you say, if if you if you try to parent with coercion and fear, at some stage that stops working completely, and and you've you've lost that you have no relationship with your child, and 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 that's it. It's it's very hard to and come it, back from that. It is, and it's like a double lose. You know how we talk about win win. You know, parenting through connection is a win win, but parenting yes. through coercion is a lose lose. Yeah, because you don't have any influence because you don't have that connection. And they haven't gotten what they need. So their behavior is going to be even more needy. Mm. So it is a lose-lose in in the opposite way that connection is win-win because you have built up that foundation and they are so much, they feel loved and, you know, more secure in their stuff. You know, it's just completely opposite directions. Yeah. 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 And like you say, where do you want to be? Yes. (laughs) Where do you want to yeah. And I love that you say about them feeling loved because one you talk in the book about rituals for connection in the family, which I really love. And one of the things you say, which is something that I've often asked my children, is at bedtime you ask, you, what, what made you feel loved today? I think that's such a beautiful question. And it's it's so lovely for us as well to keep us on track. Um, yes. 
Absolutely. Sometimes because if they can't tell you anything, we haven't done our job that day as well as we could have. Yeah. And it does. It's sort of like a check-in and, you know, it's, and it tells us what we can do more of, you know? Yeah. Because one of the other books that I love is um, the love languages, the five love languages. You know, I have just seen that to, oh, it's so true. I mean, I see it about myself. I see it about other adults and about children. You know, they do have their preferred love language. And if it's, we know what that is, we can just help them feel even more loved. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and, and play is so often the language of children, isn't it? I'm, I loved Larry Cohen's book as well. I really loved that book too. And um, yes, play is is such a clear language for them that they speak fluently from the beginning. <laughs> and sometimes we have to learn how to speak that language, but they always know how to speak it. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, something I just realized about myself, because I am not, I, I mean, it's an effort for me to be playful. I'm much more than I was. So I've gained some ground on it. But ways that it shows up in my life that I haven't progressed is that uh, like with technology, I will see a friend go, well, let's see what this does. And I'm like, no, don't touch that button. <laughs> Something bad <laughs> might happen. So I'm not playful with technology. So it's hard for me. So I need to, you know, learn to how to, you know, just try something and see if it works. But, you know, I'm feeling like, no, it'll erase everything or, you know, something <laughs> like that. So it does, affect, our lack of playfulness can affect us in other ways. Mm. And so it, it's, I'm finding it fun. I haven't gotten there with technology yet, but I'm finding it fun to be more playful and, you know, intentionally more playful about life. Like I love to laugh. And so I love to make people laugh, you know, so I will do unbelievable pranks on people, you know, funny things just, <laughs> just to make them laugh so hard because I love it. Yeah. And it's so nice. It's such a good reminder as well, isn't it? Uh, that the that healing power of laughter again and that healing power of play about things when we feel stressed about them. It's so lovely to bring playfulness into that because that that releases all those those feelings of stress and frustration and everything else that we might be feeling, particularly about technology. Yes, that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't always bring out the best in us. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I know this. Oh, I can't think of who the quote is by. It will come to me after, I'm sure. But it's something like um, when we learn new language, we will always speak with accent, but for our children will be native tongue. And I just see that to do. And I wish I could recall when I think of it, I'll send it to you Um, and it will come to me. But it's. For our children, technology is just like my grandchildren can do, you know, rings around me of what. And I have to ask them to teach me and help me with things because it is their native language. But I it's not mine. You know, every new thing is a new hard thing for me about technology. So, yeah, it's true. Such a great opportunity for some power of us or games there when they're so much more competent at it than we are. <laughs> yes, it's a perfect opportunity and it's real. Yeah. It's not contrived. It's That's real. Right. <laughs> I know some of my best um, play moments where are where my kids are doing something on technology and I join them and I'm really, really bad at it. And I'm not even trying to be bad. It's not like Chasey <laughs> in the garden where I'm trying not to catch them. It's actually, I'm really bad at it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, 
what else? So one of the other things you, uh, number six is communicating in ways that build connection. So you talk quite a lot in the book about conflict resolution and problem solving to get everyone's needs met. But you also talk about the importance of the language that we use to promote connection and to elicit co- cooperation. Um, that's a really. So I think probably the most influential thing for me or study for me on that was nonviolent communication. Yeah. You know, the whole idea of power with instead of power over, I mean, is what this is all about. And so when I discovered that it was just like, oh yes, this piece, because they, you know, Marshall Rosenberg has just the most incredible way of talking about it. And one of the things that I do, I love audiobooks. And I have them going in my car and I'm in my car a lot with what I do these days. And um, I will listen to the same audiobook 10 times until I know every next word they're going to say. <laughs> and so you, I get to internalize those voices to replace some of the old voices. And it's really powerful. Mm-hmm. So when I first listened to his book, I was just like, wow. And I just wanted to listen to it again and again and again until I could really internalize it. So what I wrote in there was heavily influenced by that for sure. Yes. There's lots of beautiful, beautiful NVC um, language that we can use with our children um, talking about, you know, our feelings and and what our needs are and, and doing it in a way that is um, connecting rather than disconnecting. Yes. And we're giving them that that compassionate internal voice when we do that. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about um, saying things like um, when we want our children to to do something, we we offer it as an invitation. We say, let's um, we offer choices and and so on to to help support our children's um, needs for choice and autonomy. But um, doing it in a way that. is is so much more likely to elicit cooperation and to make them feel connected enough to cooperate. Absolutely. And let's is probably my favorite word. And not just with children, you know, in in life, because it's saying, you know, us (laughs) together, we do this. It's not an order. It's not a request. It's an invitation. Yeah. And I think we all respond better to invitations than we do to orders or requests. Mm. So because we're we're doing it together and and it's just such an easy word to remember. You know, it really is. Mm. So when we can when we can just do that. You know what I used to do and I still do it with some things. I use index cards for everything. And I used to have an index card inside my kitchen cupboard door with go-to things to do when children are just out of sorts. You know, like have a tea party, blow bubbles, get in the bath. You know, because when you're dealing with that, your best creativity is not coming to the surface. So if you open the cupboard and it's like, oh, yeah, that. And so with some of those phrases, you know, for parents starting out with this and, you know, depending on what they have for internal voices and phrases, you know, that could be a really simple, helpful thing. It's like, oh, oh yeah, let's, let's, <laughs> you know, yeah, it can really be helpful. Yes, it's great. It's a really Cheeks. great. <laughs> Cliff notes. You also talk about other things like, you know, when we're instead of praising children that instead we describe um, and we notice and we appreciate. 
that's really powerful. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I absolutely love Alfie Cohn's work. Yes. And he has an article called Five Reasons for Stop Saying Good Job. And that is probably one of the things that will make you most unpopular as a parent educator is to bring that up because we're, you know, we have so many, you know, it's hard because if we're lucky, we have recordings of good job, except that, you know, it's an evaluation. It's not an appreciation. Mm. So what I came up with was the word good is already going to be out of our mouth before we can even catch it is to say good for you, you know, to tack on to not drop the job and just say good for you, because that's an appreciation. Like, wow, good for you. Instead of good job, like, oh, I am determining that you did a good job. Mm. You know, It's such a shift. It really is such a shift. And you know, praise can, can feel kind of empty to children sometimes, and especially if they hear good job 9,000 times a day. (laughs) But, you know, in our effort to move into that more positive way of being with children, it was an easy thing to grab onto. And you just hear it everywhere. And it's a hard thing to change, you know, so we can't, be harsh with ourselves if we said, oh, I just said good job again, you know, <laughs> because we're trying to connect, we're trying to be positive and we can get there. We can eventually say good for you, you know, and even, I mean, this is really nitpicking that some people tell me, but even I'm proud of you. For me, there's something about, and I'm not in any way suggesting parents don't say they're proud of their children, but I would always want to kind of add to that of like you know aren't you proud of yourself because there's something about saying I'm proud of you where we're taking a little piece of ownership of whatever that accomplishment was that's how it feels to me yes. and like I said I'm in no way saying don't say I'm proud of you your children you know I die to hear that you know like when my mom would say that to me that would make me feel so good or my brother you know anybody really but if somebody says I'm impressed I am so impressed that you did that you know, so just to expand our language a little bit and not just, you know, fall back on what's easy or good job or I'm proud of you to like, you know, grow that a little bit of other ways of expressing appreciation, because that's really what it is, is expressing mm. appreciation. Yeah. And appreciation and love just allows our children to to stay connected to their own intrinsic motivation to do things and not to be reliant on the judgments of others and that their worth is somehow determined by how other people feel about them. And it, it turns the focus onto how they feel about themselves, which is what matters so much. Totally. More. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Um, uh, so the last part of your book is talking about meeting the needs of parents that we've touched on already, but I do really love how you clearly explain um, that we are, you know, we're all doing the best that we can at the time with the knowledge that we have and really encouraging people, parents, to, to bring self-compassion um, to ourselves in relation to our parenting uh, I think that's so helpful for people because it's so quick often for us to 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 feel guilty when we don't parent the way we want to or when we think we've made a mistake or it's so easy and it's so automatic for so many of us to pick up the guilt sticks and start and it's so unhelpful because it just it's impossible to dis, to, to connect with a child when you're feeling all that painful guilty stuff yourself. 
Absolutely. And one of my favorite things that addresses that is Scott Noel said, we will always be parenting in the gap between the parenting we aspire to and the parenting we can actually do in this moment. Like we'll always be living in that gap. And so if we just accept that, you know, that that's going into it, that's a given Mm. that, um, you know, I always say it's easier to, to walk a trail that's broken than to break trail. You know, it's easier to walk a beaten path, which however we got treated was our beaten path than to break new trail and step into new territory. But if we want different results, that's that's the job description, yeah. you know, is to do that. And so even beyond, you know, having compassion for ourselves is that we can't always give up what we need to meet the needs of our children. You know, and I love that analogy of when you're on a plane that they tell you, put on your own oxygen mask first. When I ever heard that, I was like, well, there's the perfect metaphor for this, you know, because we can't give from an empty cup either. And so when our hurts, you know, our two cups, our love cup and our hurts cup, if our, you know, the goal with children is to keep their hurts cup empty and their love cup full, you know, that's the balance we try to achieve. And for parents, we need that as well. And I just discovered, I think it was just last night online, there's a new book called Parent Nation, and there's a website, and it's all about how we as a society need to support and value the work of parents, Mm. because parents cannot do this incredible task unsupported. It just doesn't work. You know, it it never turns out well when we're trying to do it without support. So, you know, if you have a single mom with three children and she's working and, you know, there needs to be support. And I mean, I go into quite a bit of detail in that chapter. And it was a six week class for a long time before I added that seventh class because parents were saying to me, you know, I really like this pan, but it's so hard. It is just so hard. And I was thinking, all right, why is this so hard? Well, because we don't have any support to do it. And so that was when I added on. And by the way, (laughs) we have needs too. you know, we need support. We need, if we don't have extended family, we need to create extended family and, you know, bring people in to be that support system for us and create that, which if you grew up, you know, with the attitude of, you know, just do it yourself, it's not easy to ask for help Mm. and it doesn't feel okay to ask for help, Yeah, but it's necessary. And so if we can think of it as, well, we're doing this for our children, (laughs) you know, I'm going to take good care of me so I can take good care of you is, you know, the direction we have to shoot for. And there's a real difference between understanding that and actually doing it. I mean, I understood when my kids were young <laughs> that if I was on a plane, I would, I should be putting their oxygen masks on first. But I also know that in the early days, I would have still still put theirs on first and mine on second, even though I knew that wasn't the right thing to yep. do. So there's a real difference yep. between understanding that and actually taking steps to meet our needs. And I think one of the quotes, one of the other quotes that I really love about your book is a quote that you um, mentioned from somebody else. I can't remember where you say it's from, but where you, the quote is, I can only bring peace to my children when I possess it oh, myself. Mitten strings for God. Yes. Um, yeah, I love that when I read that. And again, we can't give what we don't have. 
No. We, we just can't. And so we need, and then it's like, oh, wow, now the job's even bigger. Not only do I need to meet their needs, I need to meet my needs. But we don't need to meet them, but we need to get the help we need so yes. that we can meet them. So we can have that date night with our partner or a date night with a good friend and, you know, have that space. And I, I love the analogy that I did put in the book about imagine the difference between your partner's been gone away on business all week. You've been single parenting, you know, you had to have the plumber and the bed and, you know, all these things went wrong. And now it's Friday night and your partner's due home and you get a phone call saying, the plane's been grounded for fog and they won't be home till the next day. And you've got one more night of parenting alone to do. It's like, how do you feel about that? Like I have nothing left to give. I have nothing left to give these children, mm-hmm. you know, versus what it would happen if your good friend that your children adore showed up at your door on a Saturday morning and said, I am going to be with your children for the day. I want you to take the day off and just go do whatever would make you happy And the children are cheering because they love this person. So you don't feel guilty and you just get to leave and do everything that you love. And you come home at the end of that day. How do you think you feel about being with your children? Right. You're happy. You have a full cup. You can give from overflow, you know, so different, so different. And I think that so many parents, so much of the time are just parenting from empty cup and, we're not going to be able to adopt new things when we're struggling just to get by. So mm. yeah, that seventh chapter, it probably should have been the first chapter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so, I mean, it's, that's part of doing our work as well, isn't it? Um, getting, getting to the bottom of whatever it is that's getting in the way of us getting help for ourselves. And then of course, the more help and support that we get for ourselves, the more opportunities we get to heal our stuff and, and to, to release our feelings as well as the stress of, of parenting in the moment, the more we have available to then do the same for our children. And of course, the interesting thing is that the more support we get and the more healing we get, the more things shift for our children anyway. And so often time and time again, I see that. And so it's just just so clear that that's another example of that win-win thing that that getting support for ourselves is a real win for everyone in the family because not only are we better parents but our children actually benefit and shift in some inexplicable way from us and they do and they like being with us more yes. you know they <laughs> funny <sense> the difference. <laughs> yeah you know they like us more when our cups are full because we're more fun to be with so you know it's like yeah go my go <laughs> You know, they'll eventually pick up on that, that we're, you know, we're in better shape. And uh, yeah, they like us more when we do that. So if we want our children to like us, we should take good care of ourselves. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Wow. What an amazing conversation. I'm so, so grateful. It's just been so wonderful to listen to you talking. Is there anything else that you would like to share that we haven't had a chance to, to touch on? There's one thing that I would love to just put out there is that um, the work I'm doing now, I mean, I still do connection parenting things, but I have a literacy project called the Book Fairy Pantry Project, and it's about getting gently used children's books to children who have no books. And people will say, how do you sort of reconcile those two things? And the best way I know of to connect with a child instantly is to read aloud to them. And so I just want to remind parents of that, you know, if it's been a day or, you know, it's 
you just need a way to connect as quickly as you can. And to think of stories, not only for bedtime, because very often by bedtime, we're exhausted. We don't want to read five stories. We want to read one story, kiss them goodnight and be done. And so what I'm proposing to parents now is in the morning, have the children pick out however many books you've agreed to read that day and put them in a bag and just always have them with you. And throughout the day, create these little oasis of reconnection and re-regulation because children do, they regulate with us when we're reading aloud to them. So by the end of the day, if you've done your reading, you might only have one or two books left in the bag and they have had that connection throughout the day. And so they really are, you know, two things that match up very well. And so to just always remember books are your parenting friend because <laughs> they create connection instantly. Absolutely. I mean, I've even had the experience of reading to a child I'd never met before. And instantly, you know, we were friends, you know, they said, I said, do you want me to read that to you? Like, it was an event and they had a book and I said, do you want me to read that? The mom was trying to shop and we were laughing at the, you know, at the book. And it was just this instant connection when neither one of us had ever met before. It was, it's wonderful. So yeah, I, that's what I would add. And um, I, I was so excited too, that, I mean, 17 years ago, I wrote this book and it was definitely before it's time. And I think now it's really gaining more in popularity. And so for me, when you asked me to do this interview, I'm just like, so excited it's in Australia. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's so happy for me. And it's in Africa and it's in England. And actually, I think it is more well known in countries other than the U.S., as strange as that may sound. Mm. So. It was very exciting for me that you asked and that that you know my work so well. That's always so flattering. And like (laughs) I said, a lot of times when I do an interview, they've read it more recently than I have. And I'm like, what did I say? (laughs) 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 Soon as they do, then I'm off and running with it. But I'm like, "Hmm, how did I say that? I love what you just said about books as as well, Pam. I think it's a really lovely reminder to be reading with our children. And I've so many times as well that it can be used as a playful thing too. And I've you know read the book upside down or back to front, or I start the book and then say, once upon a time, the end, good night, come on off to sleep, everybody. And or as my kids got older, I put rude words in and silly things in the story. And <laughs> There's just so there's so many things you can do with a book to make it. And, there's yeah. a book I would love to recommend, The Enchanted Hour by Megan Cox Gurdon. It is I have it on audiobook, and I probably have listened to it a dozen times, and I never tire of what she has learned and shares about reading. And she's a mother of five, the read aloud mother of five, and you know, shares from her own experience, but also her unbelievable amount of research. And it really is just one of the the best resources I can recommend to parents about why it's such a benefit, both to our children and to us for, for our way of connecting to be reading. Not that it's the only way, but it's a surefire way. And it's an easy way. And it's free. And yeah, And it can be five minutes and we have that reconnect and that re-regulate. So, yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful. And their kids can choose which book they read. And so they're getting all that. Yeah, there's so many, so many ways you can. Oh, and on that note, 
parents will complain about if I have to read Good Night Moon one more time. And what I say to that, I mean, the benefits of reading the same book over and over and over are incredible, but children also can tell when you're not into it. And so what I would do is say, your turn, my turn. So even if they pick that same book, alternating every time it's their turn to pick, if they pick that same one, fine, but you get a break, right? Getting to read the one you picked. And it's that same, you know, back and forth of, you know, we take, this is how we take turns. Yeah. So that will reduce that a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. I love that. So where can people find out about you? Pam, how can, I mean, obviously reading your amazing book, which has been, I read, I mean, I bought it in Australia probably 16 years ago, so it's been here for a while. Wow. Wow. (laughs) That that amazes me. So, um, I mean, it's on Amazon. It can be bought online, but also on the connectionparenting.com website. Mm -hmm. And then the other project is the bookfairypantryproject.org website. It's my nonprofit. And there's always really exciting things on there and free literacy things that, you know, families or schools can do. And so, and it gives a lot of of that same information about the benefits to families of reading aloud together. Great. Thank you. Well, I'll put all those links on the, on the show description. Um, And do you still do consultations and, and things for parents and run courses? Uh, not so much anymore, but I may have, I mean, I, I think I felt once I wrote the book, it was like, there you go. <laughs> and um, it was getting honestly a little complicated doing classes because of the mixture of um, parents that might be in any one class, because the state would mandate parents who were trying to get custody back from their, for their children, you know, regain custody to take a parenting class. And mine was the only one going. And then there would be other parents who were in completely different parenting circumstances and neither were comfortable with each other. And it was really hard to do that. So um, once the book came out and I thought, you know, everybody, anybody who wants to could facilitate a connection parenting class just use the book, you know, and do the exercises. So I don't do that so much anymore. However, that said, now that it's out in Spanish, I may have the the opportunity and it would be a blessing opportunity for me to co-facilitate a parent support with a Spanish speaking co-facilitator. So that would be a really fun and I'm totally up for that. I totally would. And it's local. So, yeah, but we may also be offering some things online in the future. I'm working with someone about that um, to maybe offer some classes. So we'll see. And lastly, if you were going to just leave people with a a pearl of wisdom or something that you think is helpful for people when they're first starting this, what, what would you what would you recommend? I think. Depending on the ages of your children, when you enter into it, people will always say to me, is it ever too late to start connection parenting? And no, I mean, it would be great if you had read it before your first child was even born. And that was, you know, the mindset that you were starting out with. So you don't have anything to undo, but it really never is too late because, you know, that need to be connected doesn't ever go away. And so even if we have to sit down our teenagers or our middle schoolers and say, you know what, I read this book and it made me realize that the way that I've been being as a parent is not the way I want to be a parent. 
And I'm going to be trying to do things differently. So I just want you to know that. And so if it, if I seem to be different than I've been, I'm trying and I may still do things the way I've done them in the past, but I just want you to know how much I love you and how much I want you to have a good life and to have the things you need to have a good life. And I've only just learned these things. So this is where I'm going with it. And it's incredible how open children will be to that at, at every age. And to just start from where you are is, I guess that would be it is to start from where you are and, you know, figure it out together. I know. And, and I'm learning too, that sometimes it's so much easier to learn things from children. I'm learning to play the ukulele and my teacher is an, my 11 year old great niece. And I tried taking an adult class. It was too fast for me. And she just customizes it to where I am. And it's wonderful. And the other day I met the grandchild of a, of a friend and his name is, is a very Spanish name. And I just wasn't hearing it well enough to repeat it. <laughs> he slowed it completely down for me <laughs> to where I could say it. And I thought, wow, what a lesson, you know, that is for us that so many things we can learn from children and that they are totally open to us loving them, which is really what it's all about. And we want that and they want that. And sometimes it'll struggle to get there, but that's really what we both want. So I would just say, just keep trying and, and, and that it's not a decision you make once and for all say, Oh, I am going to do connection parenting because <laughs> it's a decision you have to make over and over and over again every day. And some days you'd be like, I am not going to do connection parenting. It's too hard. And then you just start over the next day, you know, because that is really, you want that connection and finding your way to it is just the work at hand. Mm. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Pam. It's been Thank such you. a pleasure, such an honor, actually, to speak to you after knowing your work for so many years. And um, I'm just so grateful that you're willing to come on and talk to us today. So thank you. Thank you. Well, so I'm grateful that you asked. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm-hmm.